0: Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you tonight. It's good to have Mrs. J.J. Simmons with us tonight, newlywed in the back. And uh, congratulations. Come on, clap for the girl. This is exciting. Just got married on Saturday, and uh, so congratulations to you. Wonderful to see you in church tonight. Um, Thank you for praying. Um, If you were here Sunday night, as I was walking up onto the platform Um, I glanced at my watch, it was 557, and uh, my pain level spiked from like a five, and it shot up to between an eight and a nine in a heartbeat. Um, It almost took my breath away, and I backtracked and went and got, you know, a thousand milligrams of Tylenol, that type of thing, and it just got worse and worse. And so, um, went home and uh, watched the rest of the service via live stream Sunday night. Uh, Monday morning, I woke up and the pain was, probably higher than it's been in months and months. But I had a new situation. I was very dizzy, very lightheaded, uh, very unsure of my surroundings. And I was the only one home, so I got in touch with the doctors in uh, Boston and no uncertain terms, I had to call 911. So I entertained my neighborhood with fire trucks and ambulances and all that and ended up getting my latest ambulance ride. I told someone today, I have frequent flyer miles. I should be allowed to play with the lights and siren. They say no. Uh, The heart checked out, uh, which was fine. They gave me some pain medicine. Um, Yesterday was uh, pretty much as bad as Monday was. I saw my doctor. They have adjusted some medicine. We're waiting on the word from Boston. I may go back, and they may redo the injections again. They said it might take... A couple rounds of that. I had a couple very good days, actually almost pain-free days, which was really a blessing. So that's kind of where we're at. So if I'm pledging allegiance to the flag tonight, just you know the drill. Just ignore it and move on. Did you find Ephesians 6? We've been working through the book of Acts for a long time now. In Acts 19, we read about the establishment of the great church at Ephesus. The older that I get, the more I study my Bible. I am constantly amazed at how all of the Bible is tied together. And good Bible study helps you find those threads and start tracing them. And you just see how it tells one story. It illustrates it in multiple ways. And this church at Ephesus had an amazing impact on, it, on the world at that time. And it's had an amazing impact on the Bible that we carry today. The church at Ephesus was started, Paul, it was his longest ministry. Um, He had a stretch of at least two years that the Bible tells us about. And then there were a few months after that. Um, So it was the longest he spent in any given city. The, this, the church at Ephesus uh, had one of the most amazing, soul-winning emphasis and ministries of any church that Paul started. We know from Acts 19, the Bible says, and all they which were in Asia, a massive land area, half the size of modern-day Turkey, the Bible says everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Didn't mean they all got saved, but we know enough people got saved in Ephesus that the temple of Diana was emptying out to the to the to the point that the silversmiths who made those little shrines uh, as souvenirs for all the people that come in to worship there uh, they were afraid of growing uh, going broke. They had a, a riot that lasted for hours, chanting "Great is Diana." The Ephesians they were upset because. This church was reaching people and uh, lives were getting changed. Um, Lives were getting changed to the point it wasn't just pray this prayer. It was you get saved and Christ makes you a new creature. And that is Bible salvation. We learned from Acts 19 that these people were saved out of all types of satanic and occult-like activities. They brought their, their books their items in, and they had a big public bonfire. Uh, the 50,000 pieces of silver was the value of the things that they destroyed in, in that moment. Somewhere around a million dollars in today's economy. Um, these people were, were really on fire for God, literally. They were serving God. Lives were being changed. But we've also understood that Paul experienced an awful lot of spiritual warfare and satanic opposition while he was at Ephesus. We looked uh, for two weeks in a row. We went to First Corinthians 15, I believe, verse 32. And, and Paul made this statement, if I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, we know historically, Christians weren't being cast into the Colosseum and devoured by wild animals yet. That was a few decades off in the future. Um, The beast is probably referring to the spiritual opposition. Jude talked about false teachers and and compared them to brute beasts, that type of thing. Paul had a lot of uh, difficulties there. In in, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he made this statement. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did much evil. And he said, you need to beware of that man. Um, uh, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus first and second Timothy were written to the pastor of that church that we've been studying in Acts chapter 19 in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 the Savior had John write seven letters to seven churches in Asia Ephesus was the first one uh, Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7 the other six were almost assuredly all churches that were started out of the church at Ephesus. Again, the Bible is all tied together. This church at Ephesus had an an amazing impact on the world, uh, amazing impact on the Bible, and the epistle to the Ephesians that we have our Bibles open to tonight was Paul writing back to the church at Ephesus. So uh, it's important that we've taken some time uh, to lay this background uh, for the last several weeks about it. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and this is the passage we've been studying, something that we're not strangers to. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Repeatedly. Paul uh, wrote, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, strength doesn't come because you've been saved X number of years. We saw in Acts 9.22 that Paul was uh, uh, getting stronger in his, in his faith and the grace of the Lord was upon him. And he was still a brand new convert at that time. We also looked last week at 1 Corinthians 3. There's a church that had been established for many, many years when Paul wrote his first letter to them. And they weren't strong at all in spite of having Paul as a founding pastor, having Peter there for a while, having Apollos there for a while. Three of the greatest preachers of the New Testament were in that church. And yet Paul says, I can't even speak to you as spiritual people. Uh, You're you're carnal. You're babes in Christ. And and it appears from the text of 1 Corinthians 3, they've kind of always been that way. In spite of all the advantages they had, Paul is telling the people at Ephesus, "You need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might." They would understand what he was saying. They witnessed the spiritual opposition. They knew about the the uh, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish man who went in trying to cast a demon out of a guy. And the demon said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know who you are. And he beat the living daylights out of them. They, they understood it. They came out of that background uh, of spiritual darkness and wickedness. And they're taking it seriously. They're realizing we don't do this in our own strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's not about our willpower. Uh, It's not even about our resolve. We have got to have the power of Christ resting in us and on us at all times. So Paul says you need to be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, put on the, what's the next word, church? Whole armor of God. One of my... Teachers, when I was in Bible college, uh, was John, is Johnny Pope. He is a pastor in Texas now. He taught homiletics. Uh, That is how to preach. An amazing, amazing preacher. I remember him one time in class talking to us as as young men. He said, Every morning of my life, I open my Bible to Ephesians chapter six and I go through the checklist and I make sure that I have every piece of armor on, put on the whole. Armor of God. We closed last week with the illustration of King Ahab riding out to his final battle. The prophet had already told him he was going to die in that and he is trying to circumvent the will of God and nobody is going to succeed in doing that. But he went out and he was fully armored, uh, thinking he was protected in every way. And a soldier from the Syrian army, the Bible says, just drew a bow At a glance, I mean, he just sort of guessing, just twang, just, you know, maybe it's his last bow, uh, you know, and he wants to go home and have dinner. I I have no idea. He just shot it off at random. He wasn't aiming. um, And uh, Saul had one little gap in his armor, probably in this area here where the shoulder and the breastplate might meet. And that arrow sunk in there and it was a fatal wound that took his life. That little gap in his armor cost him his life. You and I need to take this matter of spiritual warfare seriously and put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles comes from the word we get methods or methodology. Paul, we learned last week, said in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, we are not ignorant of his, Satan's, devices. He, he, he's been studying us for 6,000 years. And uh, you and I aren't gonna stand against him by our own intellect. He's smarter than we are. He's been around longer than we have. And we need to understand that and we need to have the whole armor of God so that we can stand. Verse 12, we talked about the spiritual aspect of the warfare. We tend to put names and, and faces on who we think is the enemy. And yes, we know from the Bible The devil does use people. He uses lost people like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ. Um, He uses backslidden people like Ananias and Sapphira who were motivated by pride and and a sense of I need to be recognized. But he can even trick and deceive spiritual people like David, a man after God's own heart, who the Bible says that Satan provoked him to do something wrong. Um, And that's why you and I need to have the armor on because we've got an enemy who is ruthless and he is relentless, and it is a spiritual warfare. We spend too much time, I believe, fighting people when we ought to be on our knees getting a hold of God because the people are just puppets. And there's somebody behind the scenes spiritually pulling the strings. That's verse number 12. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God? It's been told us twice. God says things on repetition to help us understand this is how I'm underlining, I'm emphasizing, don't you dare miss this. Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's an offensive position. Uh, That's going on the office, That's, that's attacking. Then he says, and having done all to stand, that is defending your ground, hold your ground. So we need the armor of God. And that is pretty much where we stopped. We want to look uh, briefly tonight, I'd like to get through the whole list if possible, and uh, we'll we'll see how well I do on that, on this thing called the armor of God. Uh, Last week I brought in three volumes, about a thousand, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, about a thousand pages uh, of a commentary on Ephesians 6 through 18 written by a, a Puritan pastor named Philip Gurnall in 1655, a thousand pages just on this passage of Scripture. Um, it, it's phenomenal. Um, it, it's, not, it's not a quick, easy read. You don't speed read it. Uh, there's so much that can be said. We could have Bible studies for a very, very long time just on one, this one passage. By the way, it would be a Bible study uh, very helpful to all of us no matter how long it took. We're not going to try to do that, but I do want to alert us um, how, the God, how the Lord wants us uh, to be So we have a lot given to us here. Remember Paul, when he writes this letter, he is uh, positioned at all times uh, between soldiers. He's under arrest. And Roman soldiers are his constant presence. Um, and it, it's, it's no surprise, therefore, that the Holy Spirit had said, look over at this guy and, and see how he is clothed. Especially when they moved into dangerous territory and that armor's on and they're moving in, 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 a, in, in, a, in a formation or whatever. And uh, Paul is uh, looking at that and seeing how the best equipped soldiers of the day, of that entire era, were, were outfitted for battle And the Holy Spirit said, now let's draw some analogies to that. Starting place, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now I've always heard this, and I'll I'll be honest, I have always said this, or often said this, that this was a strip of cloth that they used to sort of tie around and, and tie their garments together sort of like I'm doing this, I'm not pledge allegiancing right now, I'm trying to illustrate, to keep their, their uh, clothing out of the way when they're running or they're fighting uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and and um, historically, uh, people did that in those days. They wore more long flowing type garments, that type of thing. And so oftentimes, uh, you know, a farmer would, would wear something like that, uh, you know, and so forth. But Roman soldiers didn't wear a strip of cloth tied around this part of their body to hold their clothes together. If you've ever seen the movies with the Roman soldiers like Ben-Hur and all that, and you've seen those uh, crimson, you know, capes or whatever that they wear, you know, early Superman uh, type thing. Those were for show. Those were for moving from point A to point B, but they almost never wore them into battle. Because that's something an enemy could grab a hold of, yank you back, and get an advantage of you. When they were going into battle, they didn't wear those things. Their uniforms, their armor, if you will, uh, was, was, was very form-fitting. Uh, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of things, you know, uh, you know, flapping around in the breeze and that type of stuff uh, to warrant needing something to tie it together so they don't trip. The... Um, it's called a girdle, okay? I'm not trying to be inappropriate. That's what they would have called it in that day. It was not made of cloth for the Roman soldier. It was, it was at the very least made of very thick leather, very thick leather. Sometimes, uh, depending on the enemy they were fighting, that, that girdle that went around here could actually have been made of iron or steel. Um, They were very, very heavy, and they were very tightly form-fitting. It would have been a little bit like my weightlifting belt. Anybody that does powerlifting, um, it would have been a little wider than this, and I'm not going to take my jacket off or anything, but when you're deadlifting or doing squats and stuff like that, um, a a lifter will wear these. They, They will pull them tight because they are stabilizing the core. How many have ever heard that phrase? You see, this part of your body right here, this is where a lot of your internal organs are. Your lung and your heart are up here protected by a rib cage. This is where your kidneys, your intestines, your liver, and all of that are, and they are totally unprotected by anything but your skin. You understand in battle, a wound here, especially in that day and age, even if it did not kill you on the spot, would probably kill you within a few hours. They didn't have the medicine, the surgical things we have today. You would bleed out if you, if you had damage to the pancreas. That's like uh, opening up battery acid inside your body and it, you'll, you'll die an agonizing death. And so they would wear this to stabilize the core. Um, I, I learned this in, in the power lifting. I, I don't generally do it. Uh, it interferes, believe it or not a little bit with the prosthesis uh, and so forth. but uh, guys that lift a lot of weight, uh, Tim deadlifts like 450 or 60 pounds something like that. I, I've, uh, I've seen people doing a whole lot more than that. They, they wear these things because this is where your strength comes from in those type of maneuvers. every Complex movement in, in powerlifting, that's your squat, your bench press, uh, your deadlift, your overhead press, every one of them depends on the, the strength of your core. One of the things I had to learn as I became the above-the-knee amputee, started working with Sam, who, by the way, is supposed to come to church Sunday, so please be praying, um, is, is strengthening the core. So we do all kinds of fun things like planking. I many know what that is? Yeah, that's what they're going to do in the lake of fire for a long time. Uh, sit-ups, uh, leg raises, there's all, ty- all types of things that you do uh, to, to stabilize the core because that's where your strength, your strength comes from. If the core is not strengthened, what will happen? You will injure your back on a movement or you would just completely fail in a movement. By stabilizing the core, you exponentially increase the amount of weight that you can move up or down. So these Roman soldiers are, are going out and they are wearing this leather girdle. We can call it a belt if we're more comfortable with that. It's, it's fastened tightly around them. It protects the core from a blow from an opponent's sword or spear or whatever. It's protecting uh, these vital organs in there, but it's also allowing them more stamina in their battle. Believe it or not, it allows them to run faster. It allows them to swing their weapon with more power because of stabilizing the core. But okay about that. Um, If you study historically, what I've just described to you was really what the loins being girt about for the Roman soldier was about. It was not about gathering their garments together so they didn't trip when they ran. It was about strength in battle, be strong in the Lord. Now notice again, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. We have a lot of scripture, so I want you to turn quickly with me. John 17. Mark, Ephesians 6. We'll be back there. John 17. Your loins girt about with truth. As Pontius Pilate was examining the Lord Jesus Christ, he had the Jewish leaders there. They were lying. They were paying people to lie. The Bible says they hired false witnesses to witness against him. And Pilate was smart enough to know that. He had dealt with these Jewish leaders his entire time in Palestine. They professed that they were the people of the one true God. They professed that their holy scriptures were the only true word of, words of God and everything else was false and everything else was anti-God. They professed this, and yet everything about their lives denied everything that they professed. He knew that for envy, they had brought Jesus there. The Bible says that. He, he, he saw these witnesses that they're parading in. They've paid them off, and none of their false witnesses can, can agree in all of that. And he's questioning Jesus, and Jesus didn't have much to say because he wasn't trying to talk himself out of anything. He was on his way to the, to the cross. That's why he came. So he wasn't trying to get out of that at all. And um, uh, Pilate asked Jesus the question. He said, what is truth? What is truth? We hear the phrase today, my truth. How many have heard that? Or your truth. Um, no, there's just truth, period. John seventeen seventeen very succinctly, this is the Lord Jesus speaking in a prayer to his heavenly father for us. His disciples then and his disciples now. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This book right here is truth. I'm supposed to have my loins girt about with truth. The core of my being is to be stabilized by the truth of God's word. In my notes in in my Bible, I wrote the the two words, truth absorbed. Truth absorbed. Have you ever talked to your children? And you're talking, they're right in front of you, they do not have hearing problems, but you know full well that it's going in one ear, and if it's not getting lost in the great, mysterious, whatever's inside their head, it's coming right out the other, Um, and yet they... They can say they heard you, but that's—they don't—they didn't take anything to heart. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, uh, we—we've all been there. And if your your kids are real, real little, get ready—it's coming your way too. Truth doesn't do us any good unless we get it down on the inside of us. Turn if you would. A couple other scriptures with me. John chapter eight. John chapter eight. Truth absorbed, the core of our being stabilized. By the truth of God's word. John chapter 8 and verse number 31, uh, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. A lot of people came to hear Jesus preach, and they heard what he had to say, but they didn't like it, and they walked away. Read John chapter 6. It starts out with the feeding of the 5,000 tremendous miracle the do you know that the next day that whole multitude showed back up again Um, and in the meantime that night the uh, the disciples had taken ship and gone elsewhere and Christ uh, met them and there were some things happened on the on the sea with them and these people the next day where is he and they they figured out where he was and they traveled around the sea of Galilee to find out where he was and he said you didn't come to me because you wanted to hear the word of God. He said, you came because you wanted bread. And he preached in the great sermon, I am the bread of life and let it be known, there's no salvation by anybody but me. And you've got to receive me. John six is a long chapter. By the end of John chapter six, that whole multitude that the day before man, we saw a miracle of God. That was the most amazing thing in the world. The Bible says they left him and Jesus looked around and he had 12 men standing around there, and he even said, and one of you is a devil. And he said, are are you going to leave me too? And they said, no, because you have the words of life. You see, it's one thing to hear the word of God, but you've got to absorb it. You've got to get it on the inside of you. Um, uh, He says in verse 32, and ye shall know the truth. That word know means to have intimate knowledge of, and the truth shall make you free. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. How many think I'm going to get through the whole armor of God tonight? Psalm 1. Blame it on the medication. Verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. If I want to be blessed by God, I'm going to have to be separate from some things. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If I want to be blessed to the Lord, not only am I separated from that which is wrong and sinful and harmful, as far as counsel and, and thoughts and, and influences and so forth, I've got to be saturated with the Word of God. Um. How many here feel confident that you know the Bible as well as you need to? Good answer, good answer. Uh, I will. This August I'll have been saved for 51 years. Uh, this October I'll have been in the ministry for 43 years. And to be honest with you, I still feel like I'm scratching the surface. How many are doing the reading the Bible through that we handed out on January 1st? How many are still doing that? I'm, I'm really loving that and enjoying that. And uh, Every day when I sit down, uh, I, I already know when I look at the list what chapters I'm about to read, I know what's about to happen. We just got done with the death, death of Absalom uh, within the last day or so and, and so forth. Uh, we did John chapter 7, I think, this morning. Uh, and so forth, if I'm up to date uh, and all those things. But I always ask the Lord, show me something I haven't learned before. Help, help me not miss anything. I don't want to just read it, check it off, and say I'm a good Christian because I checked it off. I, I need to know the truth. It'll make me free. I need to be saturated with it. Turn to First Timothy. First Timothy. It's a Bible study, so we're going to use lots of Bible. First Timothy. Remember Timothy? when this letter is written to him, is pastoring at Ephesus. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. So that's where Timothy's pastoring. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Let's just start back at verse 3 and read it all. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Before Paul left and went on his journey to visit the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, he put Timothy in charge as pastor of the church. He said, I, before I left, I told you, I charged you to make sure that uh, people don't teach false doctrine and they don't give heed to fables, man-made stories. Um, we're not here to offer our opinions unless we say this is my opinion that Taco Bell should never be consumed by human beings. That's my opinion. Okay, um, we're here to open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord, and I can, gar- I can back it up because right there it is in print. Okay, we're not supposed to give heed to fables. Chapter 4, same book. Verse 7, uh, verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained... There's this word doctrine again. It was in chapter 1, verse 3. Now it's in chapter 4 and verse 6. But refuse profane. And, and he's not there necessarily talking about vulgar or dirty. He's just talking about worldly. Okay? Uh, profane in old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. There's that word fables again. The man-made ideas about things. Um, Mormonism is a fable. It is a fable. Um, the, the Book of Mormon is not a companion to the King James Bible. The Book of Mormon is a companion to the Satanic Bible. The King James Bible needs no companion. Um, I I was a youth pastor in Palmyra, New York for seven years uh, where the, the Mormons started and Joseph Smith and the whole nine yards. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was born on the planet Kolob and he lived the ideal Mormon life and was rewarded by the Father with a spirit wife and planet Earth. And Jesus and his spirit wife are somewhere out in space making spirit babies that need a human body to inhabit so that they in turn can go on to achieve godhood. And if they do so, then they will be awarded a planet somewhere and they get to start the the whole process again. Does that not sound like science fiction? I see the next Star Wars movie franchise right there. Uh, But there are people who believe that that is truth. Those are fables, okay? Your loins girt about with truth. How are we supposed to know what's true and what isn't? You have to know this book. You have to know this book. It's imperative. Truth absorbed. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Turn if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're just going to start at verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, the church we've been studying. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and what? Doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll want doctrine, just not sound doctrine. They, they want a church that pretty much says you get to live any way you want and God's okay with it um, and, and so forth. That's not sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the what? truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. Amazing how the word fables keeps showing up in Paul's letters to Timothy. Um, So I'm the very first thing, I'm to stand and I'm have to, I'm to have my core of my being stabilized with truth. This book is the key. This book is the key. Now I, I realize we've we've got jobs and we've got families and all those kind of things, but you, you and I need to become more proficient and spend a lot more time in this book than we've ever done before. Do you realize the nonsense and the wickedness that is being promoted out in the world today? Um, The only only weapon we've got against it is not our opinion of what we think about drag queens or this, that, or the other thing. It's what does the Bible teach, period. It's what does the Bible teach. The loins girt about with truth. If we do not have a firm grasp on this book, we're not going to stand. We're absolutely not going to stand. Turn, if you would, to the book of Hosea. I'm trying to find it too. Hosea chapter four. Look at verse number six. My people, that's God's people. This is the Lord speaking. My people are destroyed. Read the next four words. For lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Talking about an entire nation of people who are supposed to represent God to man, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. That's a haunting statement. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our loins girt about with truth. One last place on this, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Tim. I'm sorry, 2 Peter. You already were there. That would be unfair to make you find it again. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. You and I should be able to talk about any Bible doctrine that there is wisely. And we ought to be able to back it up with chapter and verse. We ought to be able to talk about the Trinity. We ought to be able to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We ought to, we ought to be able to lead somebody to Christ. Uh, we, we ought to be able to talk about marriage. We ought to be able to talk about any subject the Bible deals with. Um, Paul or Peter's writing to these people, he said, though you know them and be established in the present truth. What a great testimony to them. Yea, I think it meet. As long as I am in this tabernacle, meaning as long as I'm still alive, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, even though you're established in the present truth, I feel obligated and compelled to stir you up, not to think you know everything you need to know, that you, you've got everything that you need to have. Um, your core needs to be established in truth. It has got to be, and just because you did sit-ups uh, last week and did you know, 200 sit-ups a day every day last week doesn't mean well, I don't have to do sit-ups anymore. Because here's what I learned. Flab grows faster than muscle. My core is big if I let it be. Muscle takes a long time, and you can lose that muscle in a heartbeat. You need, you need to stay established in the present truth. Verse 14, knowing that shortly... I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Peter, like Paul, knew that the end of his life was coming. The martyrdom he was going to suffer for Christ was was at hand. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may uh, be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed, cunningly devised what? There is that word again. Four times. Four times in three passages. We've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he's now going to take them back and remind them of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was there, an eyewitness. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So he said, we were eyewitnesses of things. We we can assure you that. But verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. That word take heed means pay attention to or apply one's self to, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. You don't get to make the Bible mean what you want it to say. Okay? You just don't get to do that. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter again is admonishing at his readers, and they were people well-grounded in truth. You are established in the present truth. He says, but I need to stir you up again. And he said, and after I'm gone, I need you to stay in remembrance of these things. That's why we God's given us a Bible. He's preserved his word for us so that we have it. Uh, we, we, are, we are possibly the most blessed generation that's ever lived just by The access we have to the Word of God in in every form that there is, and I'm not talking about translations, I'm talking about you can get it on your phone. Sometimes I'm driving down the road and my my phone will read my Bible to me. I found out this is not a good way to read your Bible as you're driving down the highway. Not not terribly safe. Uh, We've got it on all of our devices. We've got access to it 24-7 and so forth. Yet it might be that we're becoming one of the most ig- biblically ignorant generations that there are because we just don't see that it's all that important. Peter said, you're established in the present truth. I feel that I need to stir you up one more time, and when I'm gone, you need to stir yourselves up because this isn't about fables. This is about divine truth. Go back to Ephesians 6. Having your loins stand, therefore having your loins gird about with truth, truth absorbed. Now, if I'm to put on the whole armor of God, I want to share a thought with you, and I think we're going to go ahead and stop here tonight. Um, I'm to put on the whole armor of God. I don't get to say, well, I don't think I really need the helmet of salvation, or I don't need my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, I'm supposed to put all of it on so that I can withstand, go in the offense... And I can stand, stay on the defense so the enemy does not get any advantage. Would you understand this? When it comes to our loins girt about with truth and this Bible, it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We don't get to pick and choose. How many have ever been to a buffet? Um, Sunday. The tent will be up, the tables will be out there, and there will be all kinds of uh, good food, and and people will go through. Uh, A buffet, you just kind of pick out what you want. Uh, We liked going over to this uh, Pacific Grill over in town. Trina really enjoyed that place. And uh, I'm a creature of habit. I'm the boring guy that uh, gets the salad. I actually get pizza at the Chinese buffet. Um, I get pot roast at the Chinese buffet, that type of thing. If Trina were with us, how many have ever went, gone there with Trina? The first place she goes to is the sushi bar. Raw fish. See, I'm, I'm the firm believer God invented fire because he wanted fish cooked before you eat it. Um, you guys will enjoy this. Trina would get her sushi, this raw fish wrapped in rice and seaweed. I mean, come on seaweed? Really? You can't do better than that? Wrap it in, you know, cinnamon toast crunch or something at least tasty, uh, whatever. But she always liked their fresh ginger and she'd put that on there and she'd get wasabi. How many know, how many have ever had wasabi? Boy, if your sinuses are plugged, eat a spoonful of that. You'll be breathing clear in no time. She would put it on. We'd be out with missionaries or whatever. I know I did it with you guys, uh, at least the first time. And and she's slathering her wasabi on there. And I said, just just watch, just watch. And she'd pop that thing in her mouth. And then then all of a sudden you hear, woo woo woo. It kicked in and, you know, her face is all red. How many were ever with her when she did that? She was entertainment for the entire place. Um, she'd go for stuff that, you know, stuff in the shell that looked like it might still be moving a little bit. She thought, well, that's fresher if it's still alive or whatever. We went to one of those and they had pickled octopus. Why? And she actually got it and popped one in her mouth. No, no, I get my salad then I go get some chicken and some steak, get some pot roast. Uh, then I get some rice and, and uh, some broccoli and some stuff like that. I, I have this thing. But, you know, that's the joy of a, of a buffet. You get to have what you want, right? And she made fun of me for being boring, and I made fun of her for being crazy. And we just laughed at each other, and it was fine. It didn't matter. This is not a buffet, well, I don't, I don't like that part of the Bible. It's still God's truth. You learn it, and then you put it into practice in your life. We're, we're living in a day and age where we claim to be Bible believers, except well, I know the Bible says that, but it doesn't work. If I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil, I not only have to have the whole armor of God, I have to have my core stabilized with the whole truth. Of God doesn't matter if it's popular very little of what we believe is popular anymore you do understand that very little of it that's that doesn't come into the equation at all doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it or not does the Bible teach it if the Bible teaches it, I need to get that on the inside of me and let that be what I meditate upon day and night otherwise I'm not going to stand because just like the part of the armor that I leave off exposes me to the wiles of the devil, the part of truth that I choose to ignore, you mark it down, that's where he's coming. Does that make sense? I got through one out of six parts of the armor of God. How many would like me to finish tonight? Yeah, you're ready to go home, too. Uh, Please be praying uh, for the uh, program tomorrow night. A lot of work has gone into it. The gospel in the play that the children are performing, the students are performing, uh, is very powerfully presented. There will be a lot of unsaved family members coming in for this. We have a large graduating kindergarten class. Uh, Pray that the Lord will be honored and glorified. Pray for Sunday. Pray for Sunday. I, I know very little of what's going on. I just know there's some people coming that need the Lord, that need the Lord. Um, and uh, so just kind of be on the lookout. Companies come. We've got a lot of out-of-town people. The Schrillers are coming in. We've already got Ms. Petronico and the Wilsons here uh, and so forth. And, and I think Hannah Kasperzak's coming. Is that correct? And um, I'm not sure how many others are going to be here. Uh, let's be gracious hosts. Let's be looking for people that might need a seat, uh, that might not exactly know where to be. And, and let's be praying. Let's, let's seek to honor the Lord. Okay. It's, it's great to say we've served the Lord together for 25 years, but let's remember to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So be praying about that if you would, please. In the meantime, and I know you do, can I just ask you to pray about this? Um, Pray for my spirit. Um, It was nice having a couple days pain-free.